Welcome to Improving Intimacy, a podcast to help single and married Latter-day Saints strengthen their family connections and marriages. Daniel A. Burgess is the host of Improving Intimacy. Daniel's a marriage and family therapist, father, husband, and author. Here's Daniel on this episode of Improving Intimacy. Welcome to another episode of Improving Intimacy with Amy and Aaron today. We're going to talk about how uh, they improved and their sexual relationship and and how they navigate that within their their family. All right, Danielle. Um, I'm Amy. Aaron and I met when we were 18 years old and got married at 19 and started having children right away. Um, worked really hard through uh, Aaron going through college, and I had always just worked at home with our children. Um, as we got more stable and a little older, we ended up adopting a few children, um, through foster care. So they are all special needs children and they're 13 years younger than our youngest biological. So we have eight children. We had three grandsons, so seven sons, one daughter, three grandsons and a very hectic home life. And it's really easy to put our, our children's needs ahead of ours, but we try to balance it all. Uh, we are temple-worthy members. Uh, we probably don't go to the temple as often as we should. And my husband, Aaron, is a convert. And I was raised by a single mom, so we didn't have the fullness of the priesthood in our home or really the fullness of, of the church culture in our home either. So uh, it's been pretty easy for Aaron and I to separate doctrine from culture and make decisions based on how we feel individually and what our relationship is with our Heavenly Father and our Savior and make decisions based on just our conscience and our faith and not be guided by culture. It's an interesting thing that our adult sons have married four of them. And um, that's three of them have married Latter-day Saint women. And it's interesting that the culture they bring with them, and then they question me. I had, you know, one of my daughters straight up questioned me about masturbation because it was a point of contention in their marriage. Um, interesting. And it was something that, you know, anyway, so... Uh, so how many, how many children, how, how many children are at home right now? Our three little ones, they're two eight-year-olds and a six-year-old. And we wow. have our 26-year-old son who's a Navy veteran and he's at home. Wow. So, so is that three? Did I count right? Three are at home right now? Three little ones and, and then the older uh, one. 26-year-old. Wow. Yep. And uh, so Aaron? four, but three little. Yeah. Um, Aaron, how about you? Anything to add to your, your history there? When were you a convert? Let me ask that. Or when did you join the church rather? Well, I, I grew up in a home where we had faith in God and Jesus Christ, but we didn't believe in any organized religion. My uh, dad and his parents and sister and brother had a bad experience early in, in my, my dad's life. And, from that time forward, they didn't attend church, even though 
uh, they still have you know faith in, in Jesus Christ and, and God. And uh, I think growing up, I went to mass that was real Catholic uh, twice, maybe. Um, but you know, we celebrated Christmas when we got you know the kind of the information about Jesus Christ. But it wasn't it wasn't um, a very religious home, and so you know, meeting uh, Amy and being blessed, you know, being married to her, I, I didn't really know any Mormon folks. I, I didn't even know what, what Mormon was until I, I married her. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of years of, you know, kind of, re, you know, resistance to joining the church. I went through probably about 50 missionaries and, um, you know, I, joining, you know, helping out with scouts and just realizing that it's a, you know, the, the wards that we were in for, for the most part, a lot of good people, good natured, um, uh, usually well-educated, but, you know, just even if not, they're just great people, great sort of people that, you know, I could see my son, you know, we, um, being, you know, friends with their kids and just the, the whole culture. And my heart softened when we uh, made a move to, a, a, you know, an area um, in, the, in the state we live in. And a particular bishop um, really helped me kind of reconcile, you know, my, my faith and began to realize that this was just something I could explore more and would enhance my relationship with our Heavenly Father, but also enhance the relationship within my community and within my church and even you know, within my home. And, uh, you know, we've, we've experienced a lot of blessings and benefits from that. Um, occasionally, I, you know, things pop up in my head about organized religion. It usually comes in the, <laughs> when I'm flipping channels and I see some TV evangelists selling something and I'm, you know, I'm not really, that. but uh, anyway, that, that's, um, kind of my, uh, I guess relationship or, or a lot of history into, um, my faith that I converted, I think it was about 17 years into a marriage. So 10, 12 years ago. 11. We've been married 28 years. 28 years. <laughs> so, so that's what I'm hearing is, is you've had a history of faith, both of you, um, but not necessarily the cultural upbringing that uh, a lot of traditional Mormons have. Um, nonetheless, your faith is strong. You're attending the temple uh, and you're bringing these principles into your family in a, in a healthy and productive way. Uh, so one of the things you reached out to me, Amy, about is, is how you reached a certain point in your life. I think you were mentioning 44 years old and you're noticing some of the, uh, intimacy or, or quite bluntly the sex dried up in the relationship. Is that, is that an accurate representation of, of what was happening? It is. Like I said, we had adopted three special needs kids and not long after my mom was diagnosed with cancer and I was the primary caregiver and that just sucks it all out of you. I just didn't have anything left and I think my husband just wasn't in a place to even initiate anything because he knew I was overloaded and 
it, we never, I don't really feel like our relationship was, there was ever any contention. We were just content and happy and always best friends and partners. But that intimacy was just gone. Yeah. So it wasn't like we struggled or didn't get along. It was just that that whole facet of our marriage just was gone. It sounds and, like uh, there was so many things going on, not just in your own life. I mean, for, for, uh, foster kids, adopted kids, four of your own mm-hmm. parent it has a terminal illness. Um, my goodness, there's lots going on. So this isn't just losing interest in each other. This is major life events that are very stressful and you're, you're learning to navigate. Uh, what? Yes, and I stopped working, so that wow. added stress to Aaron. So all of our financial needs and everything fell on him, and we were spending because, you know, we were taking care of so many people with different needs. And so I think we had that financial stress. I think he also had the stress of being the sole earner, and it was just overwhelming. Um, but like I said, our relationship was great. <laughs> so I'm curious because a lot of couples, um, uh, the way you described that there, it wasn't a point of contention, like a lack of, uh, of sex in the marriage. Uh, it didn't sound and correct me if I'm misunderstanding Aaron. It wasn't like this was a, a point of contention every day. So what prompted this? Uh, usually I hear couples say, you yeah, know, we're fine either way. And there's no need to work on it because it's not a big deal or an issue. Um, was there a point where it became an what issue? Or? A change. I'm the high desire partner. So you, and Aaron you, is the low desire partner. Okay. And Aaron had something that was causing him chronic pain. He had a, a testicular pain that was just chronic all the time. And so I think that was part of us avoiding because we didn't want him in pain and everything else just kind of compounded. And so we just let that go. Yeah. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't real high on the priority list. Yeah. But it got high on my priority list. (laughs) Um, and I just decided that we were too young. I started out with ordering a subscription box that so, just so came let with me, let random me, items every month. Let me pause you, Amy, because uh, I want the audience to know what yeah. your interpretation of too young is. And I think it's important to point this out. How old were you when you you were starting to reflect on this and you decided it was too young to not 44. be 44? 44. I think that's important for everybody to know. Sorry. Probably 44, 45. 45. Uh, 45. Yeah. So I just started with ordering the subscription box and it got to be just fun. Like my, my sister lives in the house behind me and my daughter-in-law's over every day. And every time the subscription box would come, we'd pull it out and there would be crazy things like nipple clamps or flavored lubes. And we'd all pass it around and taste the lube. And my daughter-in-law couldn't believe that my sister and I would just pull a vibrator out of a box and play around with it. And she just, she opened up so much because there was, no embarrassment, no shame. We were all checking it out. And then, of course, then I would show Aaron 
you know, they tried to things in the box, you know, some of the things were like just a no-go. He just was not interested. And it would just spark a little bit. Then I started listening to podcasts um, when we were alone or working on projects or in the car or I joined these intimacy groups and started reading him things or ordering things online and, you know, having them show up and just presenting it to him to try. And he's always just been game. Um, He's always been really receptive. He's never rejected me. Um, But we definitely needed to light that fire. Uh, We finally probably asked him about Nine months. Like a bonfire. (laughs) (laughs) So we did a 30 day sex challenge and we way overachieved that. That was about (laughs) nine months after (laughs) I started the little subscription boxes. And after that 30 days, we were being intimate twice a day. And we were scheduling it in the morning before our children woke up. So we were getting up an hour before our children got up. And I don't think we will ever go back to not having that time to ourselves in the morning. Our emotional intimacy grew so much as a result of that increased physical intimacy that I don't think either of us ever realized how important sex is for our emotional intimacy and I think now you know we've raised several children already had we had this level of intimacy when we were raising them I think it would have been a lot easier I just think we would have been more of a team more on the same page more connected and uh, and the stress relief so Amy, <laughs> everything well, helps I, I, life I want to explore that. Why, why having intimacy uh, uh, would have improved the earlier years of of your child raising. But before I do that, what about Aaron? Did your pain go away? What, what, so we already know that Amy has the higher sex drive. So ordering these subscription boxes, uh, having this fun little surprise is exciting for you, Amy, but what changed with you, Aaron? What, What made it easier for you to, uh, engage in, in sex with your wife. So I, I took, I took action. Okay. I took action. You know, Amy pointed things out and you know, I've always been reluctant to go to doctors and such, but I took action to address some medical conditions that I had. So to, uh, you know, get past that obstacle. And then, um, you know, Amy's incredible and she you know, recognizes the, you know, the, the needs that we, you know, we need in our relationship. And I think just as, um, you know, I've mentioned this in, in, in church, you know, as, just as human beings, you know, we, we always strive to have connections, especially to the ones that we love and, you know, the ones that, you know, we're married to our spouses, we're close, that really close connection. And we find that, you know, our, our sex life, you know, it, it's a, a mechanism to reach each other, um, it, it, through you know emotional, spiritual, because we're building trust with each other, we're you know we're constantly repeating um, a an emotional connection where we're, we're we're building a trust between each other. It's not just a, a physical thing; it's an emotional and 
loving uh, trust and, you know, based off of connections. And, you know, connections could just be, you know. Can I elaborate on that? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, sure. The most interesting thing, I think, is the more intimacy we have and the more we kind of push our boundaries uh, with trying new things and being more, like, adventurous in the bedroom, the more vulnerable we are. And so when he does something that, um, it, and it can be, I can't, yeah, I had an example, but, oh, he was, um, we were teasing each other and I thought he was going to come into bed and he continued to play video games. And I was like, I feel so, I felt so rejected last night and he was completely offended. He said, how could you feel rejected? Like, we just had sex, and I went and played video games. And so, But you tell me you were coming back, and you never came back. So I figured your video games were more important. But it's almost... <laughs> I know. <laughs> Regardless, I still felt rejected. I can't explain it, but I had to tell him. My feelings are hurt, which I have to be vulnerable to be able to tell him that. And even just acknowledge that I was kind of feeling rejected and it made no sense to me either. <laughs> like, how could I feel rejected? But we did talk about it and we do talk about it pretty much, right, you know, like at the time or like, very, you know, the next day. Um, but also he's more vulnerable and I think that gets hard too for you because you're more vulnerable now the more intimate we are. Be- the other blessing in all of this is our intimacy has increased and that we are learning a lot more about each other almost 30 years into marriage. And then we're aging. So we both ended up, well, I ended up getting hormone therapy and then he was experiencing some difficulties and I said, go check your hormones. But it was great that we were already really consistent and understood each other's bodies, um, understood our level of intimacy. And when things started changing, it was probably two weeks. And I was like, nope, go get, go to the doctor. So we're both receiving hormone therapy now. So that was kind of a blessing that we were at this stage because even in those couple of weeks, he was feeling awful. I was feeling awful. We both were just insecure and it, it's a terrible feeling to think that my husband doesn't desire me and then my husband would avoid me because he wouldn't have to have any issues. And it was just a good thing that our level of intimacy had increased so much that it was really easy to see that there was something medically going on and it was pretty easy to fix. That's great. You guys were uh, totally pursuing options. Uh, you didn't let the stresses of life delay this experience for both of you any longer. You're medically getting checked out. I love what you're doing. You're getting creative and vulnerable in the bedroom. So tell me a little bit more what you brought up earlier, Amy, if you were this sexually active with each other, when you were uh, younger parents, how would that have benefited you? What do you think? What was your, your thoughts around that? We were almost martyrs for our children. Everything was for them. And it still is. We still do everything for our children. But we meet each other's needs first. And we make sure that we have that time for each other. We start our day that way. It doesn't always mean we're having sex. But 
we are touching or we're sharing together or we're just talking in the morning. We just have that hour just for us before anybody else um, even is a thought in our mind. It's kind of perfect. We don't have meetings. We don't have appointments. We aren't checking our phone. We don't have any outside distractions really early in the morning. Um, as far as raising our children, I, you know, I was talking to my son's teacher of all people and she has children about the same age. And, um, she, she had talked about having issues with her husband and her son that they have a lot of conflict. And I'm like, how's your intimacy with your husband? And she said, it's not even there. And you need to jumpstart that because he will be a lot less annoying to you. <laughs> and he will probably be a lot more willing to feel like, I think, feel like you're not, not that you're on anyone's side, but more like you're backing him up. See, my, my husband and I have a son who's very much like my husband. They have always butted heads. Now that he's an adult, he's, that young man is just amazing. And my husband and he get along great. But my husband, it felt like he rode that child so much harder than the other one. And I think it's his own issue. Like he wants him to avoid the things that were difficult for him or whatever that might be. But the mama bear comes out when you feel like your husband is like harder on that kid. And then he feels like, oh, you're taking his side or you're not backing me up. And I feel like with the increased intimacy, there's no question that we're a team. And that even if I that do say, I think that maybe, you know, you can approach this differently. He wouldn't feel like I'm just jumping over to defend my son. Like that he would take what I'm saying a little bit more unbiased because he we already have that really strong partnership i, I don't really know how to articulate i, I really that. love that that point there um and and how intimacy is building trust and unity in your relationship to strengthen your parenting and trusting each other's approach and it sounds like having frequent intimacy also uh lowered stress levels possibly, and allowed you to be more patient with your kids. Oh, it does. Definitely. It does. It, and it's not just, you know, the, the act, you know, a sexual act. I mean, that's wonderful, of course, but the uh, reducing stress, it's not just the result of, of, of a sexual intimacy, but it's, it's also the result of knowing that your partner is with you heart body, mind, soul, spirit, that you have that, you've made that connection, you have, you've reinforced that relationship with your partner, that they are absolutely with you 100%. You are with them 100%. So when something comes up in the day, and every day something comes up multiple times a day, that person in your life who has your back and knows every detail about you and knows your flaws and knows when you're out of line and, and can pull you aside and, and, and support you or back you up in the moment or, you know, you, it, the reduction in stress helps 
with that, building that connection, that relationship. And I haven't always felt that way for you. When I would pull him aside thinking, I think there's a better way to approach this, he would feel attacked with our first litter of children. (laughs) (laughs) The second litter of children. I, I don't think I've had a like, parent refer to their kids as a litter yet. I, I love that. <laughs> they are they are like cats, unmanageable. They just scurry anywhere they want. Well, we have the oldest five in um, six years, and then the youngest three are a year and a half, three and a year and a half. So they're basically little litters of children. Um, but the second grouping of children, I feel like he. I don't, you can speak for me, but I don't feel like he feels us attacked. I think he has a really clear, like, partnership and team with me, and we start the day that way. And so everything that comes during the day, I think that it goes over a lot easier if I disagree with the way he's approaching something. I don't feel that, you don't act like you're being attacked. Yeah, no, 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 it, it, um, especially children with, with special needs, we're, we're facing things that even though we had children with special needs with the first quote unquote litter, uh, it's compounded with our, with the kids that, uh, the wonderful kids that we adopted. And we need that, you know, being on the same page, you know, that, that catchphrase or just, having that, that connection, that's that background and support. We're not always on the same page. So that's where that bond and that trust comes in. Right. Because I'm, you only have one daughter and I'm quite hard on her. You're hard on her. Like I, I was hard on, 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 on the older boys. Which is probably a parenting thing, but you know, we did have um, teenage foster daughters. Wow. Oh boy. And I do parent her in a way to try to avoid um, the things that we saw with our teen foster daughters because she had a lot of the same abuses and things as a baby. Oh boy. And so the manipulation and the lying, I just just call it what it is and I don't sugarcoat it and we address it. But I definitely feel like I write her harder. You do. Than the boys. What I'm liking about this is, is it's one thing I try to help my clients out and understanding is, is sex improves our parenting and improves our communication. Um, but one of the biggest roadblocks that, uh, those I work with have is if there is an offense, like you experienced with Amy, with Aaron and his gaming and this, this, uh, um, feeling offended over that. And then not wanting to have sex or not in the mood because of that hurt. Um, but the paradox is, is if, if you could push through that hurt and have intimacy, things heal quicker. I've noticed. What would you say to, I agree with that. Uh, what would you say to couples who are experiencing there? Like, I know I have no desire. I've lost it. He's hurt me. She's hurt me. How do you, how do you address that in your own relationship? You know, what's interesting is a few months ago, something happened and I was really upset and we were in bed and we were talking about it and and that we were becoming intimate 
I think when we are talking about it and we're really vulnerable, that lends itself to intimacy, you know, physical intimacy after we've resolved whatever the emotional conflict was. Um, and my body literally didn't even respond. Remember that? Yeah, I remember. Like physically, I wasn't, my body wasn't getting aroused at all. And then I had it back when I was, I said, well, I need to tell you, I'm really upset by this thing. I think I went on to, mm-hmm. and we finished discussing the things that I had held back. And then my response was great and my arousal was great. Um, but I hadn't, I hadn't really experienced that before, but I haven't been as vulnerable with Aaron as I have been these last couple of years. And so if I feel like there's a big offense, which doesn't happen very often, but it did at that time, mm-hmm. I absolutely had to resolve it before I could be intimate, which was crazy because I would have never thought that could be an issue. You didn't think it could be an but, issue uh, because of your sex drive and having this experience of, wow, I can't, yes. my body's not even responding. You had to address it. Yes. You know, I have a lot of baggage. I was um, molested by different people as a child and I was raped as a teenager. And so I've gone through, I have I've never gone to counseling or anything, but I've gone through just stages of dealing with things. And I think that, um, I don't think I ever fully was as vulnerable until these last couple of years as I have been. And so I think it probably relates to just the level of vulnerability that I'm allowing right now. That's beautiful. That's, uh, it's impressive to me to see how vulnerability, um, that vulnerability is needed for for meaningful sex, for healing, um, and how when we're not vulnerable, it prevents even bodily, our, our bodies from responding. Um, but being able to open up to Aaron uh, allowed you to physically get there again. And even with all this history that you've had with, with abuse, uh, being able to open up to Aaron through that vulnerability uh, seemed to, to help with that healing process. Would that be a fair um, representation of what's happening? I thought that I was fine. The earlier in our marriage, we had moved away from home. We'd moved away from my hometown. And I had experienced, it was bizarre because we were sexually active before we were married. We lived together. You know, we got married. We lived together. We moved out of state for, you know, and he went to school. And, you know, we'd always been sexually active and there was never any problems. I think when I was emotionally safe or even just out of our hometown and away from all of the things from my youth, I started um, just crying when we were having sex and being intimate. And he wouldn't know when I would try not to let him know because I didn't want him to, I wouldn't want his feelings to be hurt. I didn't understand PTSD at the time. I was just in my early 20s. And... I think that when I felt safe, that that all flooded out because I was finally somewhere safe and with somebody safe. 
and I had gone through that process. And so I guess I thought I was fine, but I think now looking back, I was, I don't think I ever fully was as vulnerable with him as I am now. I want to point out to the listeners that this is actually a common experience where in the act of uh, when, when there's history there of uh, emotional abuse, physical abuse, trauma, uh, engaging in sex will sometimes create that response of crying and that, that openness and that vulnerability. And so I is, I'm, I'm thankful that you're sharing that. I don't think that's something that is discussed or even, uh, known among many people and very natural response to, to trauma and trying to become vulnerable with the one you love. So thank you for sharing that. Any other thoughts there, Aaron? What's been, what's been some of your experiences on, on your side of this? Well, like you, I'm an introvert. She's the extrovert. I'm, what was it? I, I'm your brick to your balloon. Yes. So <laughs> I'm, uh, 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 I, I'm not sure how to add to that other than I'm blessed to, to be with him. I'm a, I'm a lucky man and I, I'm very grateful that she can open up to me and she feel vulnerable to me and I can be vulnerable with her. And it, I think it just, you know, builds our relationship and our intimacy and, you know, she's, she's my partner. She's my lover. She's my best friend. And, you know, everything in, in life is begins and ends with her. So I'm, I'm grateful. So now but that you've had to be really vulnerable lately. Oh, absolutely. Did. You, you say that Aaron has been more vulnerable lately. Is that what I heard? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've been more vulnerable with, you know, physical changes in a middle-aged man's life and trying to reconcile all of those things. Some things she teases me about, I think she gets a little kick out of and that's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, we, we, we know each other's buttons and vulnerable points and, and, um, you know, that, that, that's okay. Uh, but you know, some of the, you know, when you get older, things start changing things don't work as well and things don't work as fast and um so you uh, confide in your partner when you're at a point where you're just at a loss and maybe affecting your intimacy or affecting other parts of your your life or your on um, how your body reacts and emotionally and and sometimes just you're you know for me it's just confused and didn't understand why I was feeling the way I was feeling and just finally talked to her and, and we worked through it and, and, uh, you know, you know dress the physical things and, um, you know, we couldn't have, I don't think we could have done that 20 years ago. Uh, cause I don't think we were at a, a re, you know, point in our relationship with each other that we would, be able to express, um, you know, the physical changes and emotional and uh, changes that we were, you know, I was experiencing. So, um, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to have her and be able to confide in her. She 
perspective from David, she straightens me out and helps me out. Yeah. What, what I, I, thank you, Aaron. I, what I like about what you're saying there is, is the ability to open up during sex, after, before about those vulnerabilities. I think that's a common misconception, not only within the church, uh, but in sex, sexual relationships uh, uh, in general is how's it supposed to look within the bedroom uh, and whether that's, are you guys orgasming at the same time or things aren't working exactly the right way and to be able to talk about it. And that's not really a thing that I, I, stereotypically men aren't able to do. Uh, you know, we want to be able to perform, um, but to be able to open, open up and discuss that and, and try to figure out solutions around that, whether it's medically or a different position or a different way to go about going about sex. Um, and so I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, we, I talk to everybody about sex. <laughs> because yes. I talk to my Great. daughters-in-law <laughs> about sex. Yes. I have girlfriends. We do date nights. And none of our husbands, they do not have the dialogue that us women have. That's interesting. <laughs> I have no, I have no, no we were desire. all, we were all. We I, I got to ask Aaron. Over last night. Hold, hold on a second, Amy. I got to ask Aaron here because, uh, is it because you don't have a dialogue or is it just something that you're not comfortable about doing in, in, in a family sit, uh, setting? I have no interest in <laughs> any way whatsoever from hearing the guys, you know, the husbands of all this, of what, what goes through their mind. And I have no interest in telling mine and I do not want to know about theirs, but my wife and all of her friends, goodness. <laughs> tell, tell me your side, Amy. The real life, the authentic, I'm authentic. I love Because if I'm not saying everything, I feel like I'm lying. So I hide nothing. I cannot not say it if it's going through my mind. And I talk to everybody. My sister lives in the house behind me. And I have a favorite vibrator that I buy all of my daughters-in-law before they, you know, for their wedding night. And I bought it for my sister. Her husband literally came over to my house and like bowed down and thanked me. Yes. <laughs> That's the truth. Amy, this and is where then, we need to get to right here. Sorry, Aaron. I, I agree. I, we, we need to be talking. We, we don't hide our, our, uh, uh, vibrators. They're, they're, they're on our bed stands. It's not, we're not hiding away in a shoebox or anything like that. And the kids can ask, what is that? Just oh. don't touch it. I, you know, <laughs> welcome, uh, welcome we to keep those things visible, but we have other not stuff true. out. You know what? My girlfriend has <laughs> never orgasmed. I ordered her the Shibari mini halo. Oh, great. I gave it to her. She At hit least, it. That's what I hear. She called me one day and goes, I cannot figure out how to change. She's from South Carolina. I cannot figure out how to change these batteries. And I said, honey, there are no batteries. It's rechargeable. Yes. She says, there's no place to plug it in. It's waterproof. <laughs> Take it in the shower. So her husband comes in the bathroom and sees it in the shower because she's been hiding it for like five months. She had it for her five months ago? Yes. Oh she goodness. can't even say orgasm. She whispers it. <laughs> Seriously. So her husband oh, says, where'd you get that? And she told him that I bought it for her. And he said, what? How did this conversation come up? He couldn't believe it, that they would never talk about that. And 
all of us have this, you know, the same things or somebody says something about something else or we, we can all chime in. My daughter's-in-law too now who were raised in very, very oppressive <laughs> environments, you know, sexually oppressive environments. They have no problem talking about just about anything, uh, which is phenomenal. My newest, one of my, I want to show them. One of my daughters and mom it texted me a few weeks ago and said, talk to me about lube. I'm just having the hardest time. And I can text her back and give her all the details about all the different kinds of lubes and what kind of activities for what lubes and things like that. Yeah. Early and often. <laughs> you know, the phrase. Early and often. Are you, are you familiar with uh, yeah. the, the saying friends don't let friends use KY jelly? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, it's, uh, well, I was going to say about my girlfriend who hid her vibrator. I have a power strip attached to my nightstand with all my chargers. <laughs> and I literally sent okay. her a picture. I said, they don't hide it. Don't hide it. Plug it in. <laughs> Plug it in. Talk about but it. I literally Use have it. a power strip. Yes. My daughter, my daughters-in-law are in here. My grandsons. I don't care. I don't think there's anything. I had enough shame surrounding sex, yeah, and intimacy, yep. that I just won't be shamed by it. I, I won't be embarrassed by it. I'll, I'll hide my. But we love embarrassing our kids, though. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh man. I mean, I'll say. I'll say. Yeah, our son. I get a kick out of it. I'll start to say something, and we'll hear him say, "Nope, nope, don't want to hear anymore. Nope." Because they know where I'm going with it. You know what? They do, because he's a terrible texter. He has accidentally sent naughty texts on a group text to all of our kids. Oh, that's great. I don't know how those things work. No, it's horrible. That was bad. I have a... I tease our, uh, our youngest daughter all the time because she, she's, we're a blended family. So my wife brought in the three girls and, and I have two boys that we brought in. So, uh, they had to get, they came in as the, the girls came in as teenagers. So they had to get used to a new dad. And so they'll, they'll often call me Danny dad and, uh, the youngest. So I, I introduced this whole culture of talking about sex freely in, in our family and, and their mother, my wife, uh, is very open already, but I kind of brought in a, a whole new level to this, this conversation. We will be in a restaurant. We'll be talking about it and I'll get this, uh, uh, snarky reply from my, my youngest daughter, Dan, stop. That's so awkward. <laughs> but you know, now today <laughs> she is more uh, willing to discuss it. She's having proactive conversations. With, so she's returned missionary now and she's having these open dialogues in a way we never thought, you know, we would tease her. I, I would say things that would push her comfort level. And I want to point out to the listeners that this was always mindful. It wasn't like I'm going to, um, well, I think there was definitely a teasing and, and a joking around that, but it wasn't in a way to shame her in any way. And, and when, the boundary was being a pusher. If I got close, it wasn't like I'm, I'm torturing them and, and we often communicated. So I, I, I knew, uh, and, and so it wasn't detrimental. Um, but now she's able to navigate those conversations in a way that both my wife and I are like, wow, I, 
she's actually talking about these things in a very productive way. So I, I like that. I mean, I think we have to be mindful and careful in how we tease and, and, and whatnot um, and, and uh, be sensitive to that. But uh, sometimes it works for some kids. Uh, and my older girls are doing it well. They're navigating those conversations well. My youngest boy is is freely asking questions, uh, whether we're driving or over dinner. So uh, proud of you guys. Good job for doing that. Uh, yes, we have our stuff laid all over the place. Well, I, it's not spewed all over the place, but if they see it, they see it. If they don't, they don't. Uh, we, we don't make a big deal out of it, but we also freely talk about it. And it sounds like you guys do the yeah, same thing. We do too. Yes, and when the boys were little, if he was grabbing my booty or we were kissing in the kitchen or whatever, they'd, oh, we'd always say, there's worse things than having parents that can't keep their hands off each other. And now they're adults and they're married and they're just like, I hope we're just like you guys. <laughs> that is wonderful. Now, you mentioned at the beginning um, now that, they're adults. that one of your, I guess, daughters and daughter-in-law was questioning or you, you're, you're having a discussion about masturbation and that became a, a, a sensitive topic. It was really interesting. They have two baby boys and she had asked me, just, I think it was just her way of kind of trying to figure out how our son was raised. And she said, how are you going to address masturbation with the littles? That's which is what we referred to the little, the younger three, the littles. How are you going to address it with the littles? And I said, well, I don't really believe in shame and having studied child development and just being exposed to children and just life in general. I just think it's natural and I, you know, be responsible, understand privacy and cleanliness and, you know, leave the rest up to them. Um, and she was pretty surprised. She said, you know, I believe that the church has a stand on that. And I said, I believe that they removed masturbation from almost all of the manuals, the term masturbation. And so we went back and forth and she did a little bit of research. Um, I don't know what her stance is on it, but. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, you know, I had to point it out to her that it's, you know, babies and young children, you know, touch themselves. I wouldn't call that masturbation, but self-soothing. Um, and as far as our boys, when they were teenagers, you know, we just wanted them to be responsible, be mindful of the other people in the home, about cleanliness, about taking care of their bodies. And that was it. I mean, there was no shame about basically anything. There was no shame in our home uh, for anything. Um, so, but that was difficult for her. I think there was some contention because they were raised very differently in that respect. She has five brothers and there's absolutely masturbation was a very shameful thing. Oh, I could imagine. Daniel, I don't think you quite know what you have here. Amy, and I'm biased, I'll say that, but you've got somebody who's got several PhDs in experience and early childhood development. It sounds like and it. I'll, all, all of these things, I mean, yeah, I, I, it's kind of a bad analogy, but, you know, in the movie Aladdin, the genie comes out of the bottle and Aladdin doesn't know what he has. And the genie had to point it out. Amy's kind of the genie here. He's quite capable of, uh, you know, she's a wealth of knowledge. So um, you may want to well, know that. She's, she's the doctor. 
That's what that's that's what it sounds like. I appreciate hearing that. I think this will help out a lot of people. So what I'm hearing from from both of you is the benefits of exploring things in the bedroom, changing it up, uh, not fearing to explore new things, to get creative, uh, to open up be vulnerable with each other. Now that seems like a, a no brainer, but I think that's a hard thing for a lot of people to do. Even being married for 20 plus years, uh, learning how to do that. Yeah. Um, it's not something we talk about very often and, but it doesn't end there. That vulnerability is now, uh, as you said, because you are sexually and it, it looks like based on what you've shared twice a day, still, are you guys uh, intimate twice a day? Yeah. Still Probably average two to three. Today, that's just we do more. We can do a little more. Yeah, so like twice a day, but we can do more. Is is that your is that the ideal place for you both, or is that would you like more? Twice a day is perfect for me. That's yeah. Well, we can a little more, a little more. Yeah, for for you too, Aaron. So you're at probably more than he's comfortable. Yeah, so is that a comfortable place for you to be at two times more on the weekends? Yes, any any more than that, and I'm not able to function. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, that that's that works for you guys, and in finding that equilibrium, equilibrium. Man, I can't speak today. Equilibrium. Equilibrium. Oh my goodness! Thank you. Uh, <laughs> It works out well for you when you, when you're there, some, some couples it maybe once a, once a day, twice a week, but finding that, that sweet spot, so to speak is, is benefiting you in your relationship and also being vulnerable in your family. So you're now teaching your kids how to be intimate because you're, you're improving it in the bedroom. It's improving in your communication, in your parenting and how you interact with your kids. And it sounds like that, they are improving in their own relationship. How has that transferred into uh, the other kids in their marriages? Have you seen a benefit from your openness? You know, it depends. Well, this particular couple of kids live, you know, in the next neighborhood. The other kids, you know, text and email and Facebook. And, um, at the dot, my daughter's in law still, though text me and message me and they're pretty open. We're all pretty open. Actually. I didn't really have a choice. I kind of give them a box full of like sex goodies for their wedding night. So I guess they know they can call. <laughs> yes. Yes. We, we do the same thing. We have our, our marriage package that we give to them uh, with the best lube. And yeah. I, I don't think we give any uh, vibrators out. I think that's a, if you're able to guess that one right, I I mean, if you get the right one, great. I think it's a little braver. Yeah. Well, the, when you talk about the Lilo, like the one that you're getting, those aren't cheap either. And so you want to make sure it works well for, so the listeners, as long as you know, your kids very well, go for it. But, uh, uh, oh, I have no idea, <laughs> but it sounds like it's working. 
So yeah, yeah those are. Those I have are been nice asked ones. for feedback. No, we, we don't get to know, and nor do we want feedback. Don't want feedback. Aaron, Aaron doesn't want the <laughs> feedback. <laughs> I don't want feedback. I do not want feedback. Yes, we get the. What's that, Amy? My daughter-in-law and I will both. Uh, if somebody says um, something about having difficulty, we both just yell out our favorite vibrator, which happens to be the same. Um, so we don't have any problem saying and suggesting, but I don't necessarily want it, the details of, I had the best orgasm last night, which yeah. is fun. No, no, don't need that. So, so I'm curious to that point, Amy and Aaron, knowing that you, Amy, are a little, a lot more open about sex. How do you navigate the personal details? Everybody has their own level of comfort. How do you be open while also respecting uh, Aaron and your privacy? Is there, is that something that you both have to check in about, or how do you navigate that? I know that there are things Aaron wouldn't want me to discuss. Um, if I was asked point blank about it, like one of my daughters-in-law asked me about something very specific, I'd answer them. Um, but I wouldn't offer anything up, especially things that Aaron would be uncomfortable with. Um, for me, I don't care. But there, there are things that I know Aaron would be uncomfortable with. So Aaron, from your per- perspective, have, have there been times where you're as amazing as, as Amy is with being open about this? Have you had to approach her and say, you know, I was actually a little uncomfortable that that detail was shared um, or has that been yeah. an issue? And how do you go about doing a couple that? Of times, yeah. I talked to her after. You just say, don't ever say that again, or that made me uncomfortable. How, how do you go about it? Well, when we're private, it, well, if it's, if she's bringing something up that's really uncomfortable, I'll generally leave the room and I might even do a look, but I'll leave the room and then I'll talk to her later about it and say, honey, this thing, you know, whatever it was, I can't even actually remember anything right now, but this thing that you mentioned, you know, that I'm not comfortable with. I, that was embarrassing. I, that's not something that I would want anybody to know. And she goes, she would tell me, you know, I'm sorry. And you know, I'll, I, I won't bring it up again. Yeah. Well, that's, I, I like um, there that even if something is said, it's not like Aaron, you're, you're managing every word she's saying. I think that's important, uh, but being able to vocalize afterwards. There's no chance of that. <laughs> oh, okay. Good. <laughs> well, hey, I can tell it, this is, been a great conversation, Amy and Aaron. I think uh, you really bring in a, a perspective here of, of how to bring that vulnerability to the family. And I, I hope that, again, I realize everybody has their own comfort level, but I think for us to improve as a culture, as, as Latter-day Saints, if we're not learning it in the home where we should be learning about sex, about intimacy, what does that look like Uh outside of the bedroom and being able to discuss how it functions in the bedroom, not necessarily our personal sexual interactions, but you have, I'm so sorry for interrupting you. Yeah. It just something dawned on me based off of what you're saying. I'm so sorry I interrupted. You had a good phrase, honey, of, uh, about what, uh, 
goes on in the bedroom between two people. I'm going to let you phrase it, but I think that the, the church just traditionally, culturally, has had a history of this taboo about sexuality and, you know, intimacy in the bedroom and kind of trying to manage people's expectations, but they're not being involved. Uh, and it, I'm not really phrasing this correctly, but oh, I think you're saying it if the precisely. church had, yeah, had certain, it has certain expectations, but at the same time, trying to not, not get in the bedroom, but almost say, you know, what, what are the rules? And that's, that's, that's not something the church, I think has been the best at, at trying to communicate. I think, Amy, you're gonna. I'm, I'm gonna rely on you to go with that phrase that you said that we're we're over in the bedroom with two people and it's okay. And so okay. I think the church would benefit from listening to your, you know, people on on your podcast like Amy and other folks who recognize that two people being able to explore each other's sex, sexual desires and intimacy and connection relationship and building that relationship and building that trust and the sexual intimacy is a, is a component of that. And it is a, an, a, 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 an effective way to build that relationship, that connection that it then, you know, it helps translate into a spiritual connection and it, it has a ripple effect with things outside the bedroom. And uh, if two people are comfortable with whatever goes on in the bedroom and builds that trust, then I think that's the church should, that's all that they should be concerned about is that people are um, having a good relationship. And uh, if the church wants to get involved in any way, they can promote, uh, podcasts like yours where people can, you know, try and remove some of the stigmas that have permeated the culture of the church through its history and remove those, um, stereotypes and, and, uh, uh, results of, of low expectations when it comes to a sexual relationship of, of two people that rather, I think the church would benefit from, kind of stay, staying back and rather um, promoting you know, shows like this. And The thing is, the church does stay back, but they put out these broad statements that can yes. be interpreted in any way and then back off and say, oh, we're not going to have anything to do in the bedroom. Or, but, or a lot, yeah. I, I appreciate you so, saying that. I, Sorry, go ahead. I don't know what the phrases that Aaron is thinking. I just feel like our what happens in our bedroom is between us and our husband and God. And as long as we're not, you know, coerced or forced or uh, doesn't chase the spirit out of our home and our relationship, that that's all the like consent or approval that we need. My, my measurement of success is it bringing you both closer together and to the Lord. There you go. I, yeah. I think it's, uh, I think you both have actually said it quite well. And I, I think we sometimes as a culture focus more on what not to do versus what 
can and should be done. Um, and the absence, in fact, I'll be doing an episode on how our, our manuals are really absent. We present the ideal. What does it look to have an eternal marriage? But that's kind of like saying swim like Michael Phillips. Great. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a great, uh, you know, eternal perspective right there, but how do you get there? And what does that look like for different people? Training, uh, practicing vulnerability all looks different for every couple and every individual. I think that's so true. And you, you know, Aaron mentioned that when he converted that we had moved to a different area and we've lived in a few different states and different areas but when we move to the town we're in now, the culture is so different. The people are so real and you go to church and you don't feel like you're looking around at all these perfect people and you can never be as perfect as they are. I think um, that what you said, it just made me think of if, if more people were authentic and authentic, you know, in the way that they live their life and the way that they are worthy members of the church, maybe not perfect, but just doing better today than yesterday. And that we could be more authentic in all of our discussions and not feel like we have to yeah. pretend that we don't do anything with our stuff behind closed doors. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like, uh, you know, you're, you're not it's difficult to stay close and connected with feet with people in the world when you're measured by how far off you are from perfection, as opposed to how well you, you know, achieved in trying to become that, you know, that perfect quote unquote spiritual being. I'm just saying in real life, you know, that, you know, we, we strive for to be better, but we also have to live within the real world and our real life and having that partner with you, um, you know, starting with that morning of it's just you and your, your, your loved one. And it doesn't always have to be sex. It just has to be, you know, intimacy where you know, can now face the day knowing you've got somebody on your side. Absolutely. Well, you both, I, the time, uh, has been productive for me. Very insightful. Anything that you want to leave the listeners with, what do you, if, if there's one or two things that you feel are the most important to take away from this, what would you both Amy and Aaron, what would you say they are to be different for both of you? But would Amy, what would you say is the most important? That it doesn't matter how long you've been married, that there's always room to improve. And that even if you think that you've been as vulnerable as you can be with yourself and that you have the most trust in them possible, that I think that there's more, you can glean more out of it. What about you, Aaron? Wholeheartedly. I absolutely agree. I, I don't know if I can really add anything to that. Thank you. How about the sex? Yeah, there's that. I don't know. I don't know what you're thinking. No, I won't. Uh, you disappoint. <laughs> Go ahead. No filter. No filter. I'm, I'm not sure if this is teasing or what this is here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Just that, uh, that, that, so that that bad to the Valentine is they make a, a a good girl blush and then make a <laughs> a young girl squeal and <laughs> gotta do all of those. <laughs> Listen to the lyrics to that song. That's uh, what uh, it which, is right there. Uh, which which oh, song goodness. is that? He's cutting that out of his podcast. <laughs> which song Back is that? Back to the bone. Bad to the oh, bad, bad to the bone. Bad to the bone. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, you two. It's been a pleasure and and uh, an honor to uh, meet with you guys and, and to hear your personalities come out here. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you, Daniel. Thank you.